1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss. What is that?
2: That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those guys.
3: And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
2: Yes. Good luck. Really. So he's almost like having a second captain
3: in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains podcast. Oh, I'm my debit here, back from my short break in your beautiful county, Murph. Hello there, on. Uh, yes, I'm glad you enjoyed your stay over west. If only you could put a roof on it, huh? Did you get <laughs> a bit of rain, did you? Got a bit of rain, yeah. But sure, it's always It's always raining. West, that's not always
4: raining. No? Uh, no, there are just some... Just when I dryness. visit. Um, yeah, uh, days that you visit, a lot of days where you're not there. But no, no, I, I, I reject entirely your premise of a constantly raining Galway.
3: Hi, Ken. Welcome back on. I greatly enjoy driving around the Sky Road Loop there around Clifton, listening to your tales of Eddie the Dandy O'Dwyer in Monday's Fairview. And <laughs> maybe, you know, when you're so far from home on oh, your yeah. holidays, it's just nice to feel... A connection to your own culture, Uh, which is what that allowed me to do—the
2: Dublin culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great day for the Dubs, wasn't it? It it's
3: a great day for the Dubs.
2: I suppose there was mourning out west, even in Galway.
4: Yeah, I I, I would say the the reaction to Mayo's defeat
3: was mixed. Well, there were quite a few Mayo flags actually. I drove the scenic route from Galway from Galway City to Clifton. Try and
4: find a route that isn't scenic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I've just, I've just disparaged the go-away to Clifton Road there, haven't I? Mm. By yeah. suggesting that the... Take, that's the N57 you're dealing with there on. That's
4: not an ordinary, ordinary you road. You know me
3: and Marky though, Murph, Murph when, you, when you name a road something like the Wild Atlantic Way, to me, yeah. if I'm at west now and I'm not on the Wild Atlantic Way, I'm thinking I'm missing out on something. Yeah. You just got to get on that. You got go to go out through Salty there, head out mm. past Barna and all that kind of stuff, and out you go there, hugging the t- the coastline as much as you can. I saw quite a few Mayo flags, actually. Uh, a lot of, lot of Mayo folk in... Have themselves crossed into the cross cultural divide and yeah, set like up the, home in the county of Galway.
2: They haven't got control. How have they
4: managed to adjust to yeah. that radically different uh, way of life? A county that on. doesn't
2: have control of its borders, you don't have a county <laughs> if you don't have control of your borders. And apparently it's got a bit porous there in the uh, the wild lands of the
4: west. I I think maybe you're you're going down a route there that we don't want to go down. I mean, yeah. this week of all weeks may we have had a Tough enough without us building a wall. <laughs> Who's going to pay for it? <laughs> around the- Milton. Yeah. No, they're going to pay for oh, it. Well, oh, and obviously that pay for you, it. Yeah. Don't you
3: worry about that. The <laughs> Castlebar uh,
1: <laughs>
3: uh, Chamber of Commerce will be paying for that wall. <laughs> I can tell you. One thing you guys failed to do on Monday, and uh, maybe you were just waiting for me to get back, I don't know, is apologize, Murph. Uh-huh. Apologize to our friend Fintan O'Toole from the 42.e. I brought up Fintan's pre-match oh, preview. I can't believe you're doing this. A full week
4: after... Okay,
3: go on. Get your... Yeah. So, Come on. Thursday's show. Belated
4: uh, thanks for this one.
3: Yeah, I brought up Fintan's pre match preview, during which he had sp- specifically his suggestion that Jim Gavin might pull a rabbit out of the hat and pick Paul Flynn in midfield. Mm. This suggestion drew complete, I would say, stunned silence from Mushin McConville. All he could muster it was stunned silence until he finally said, right. Derision. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, Carl Mannion, being the most polite man in Ireland, did humour me by agreeing that it's possibly maybe something that you never know could happen. Mm. But that's Carol way of
4: telling, me, telling you that you're talking out of your arse. Telling me so to F off, it. yeah.
3: And uh, so, yeah, uh, there I was, watching the game on, on Sunday and there we all were thinking, hang on a second, is that Paul Flynn lining up in midfield? Is that just for the throw? No, he's playing midfield. So, fintano who well done. Obviously a lot of people tweeted me and said, great shout there, McDevitt. You know, really good uh, idea to put forward Paul Flynn as a midfield candidate. Not my idea. It was an idea brought forward VM still kind of think
4: you're looking for vindication no
3: I'm not I'm looking for vindication for Fintan here cool. I mean in fairness as soon as I was challenged on that view on this suggestion I did drop it as quickly as I could and <laughs> just you know blame Fintan rather than taking it on board myself so yeah Paul Finn in midfield Maria Sharapova has been busy uh, and well she's been in bulgy form this week indeed sounding extremely triumphant for somebody who is still serving a 15 month ban for using a banned substance the court of arbitration of sport has reduced that from two years finding quite a few flaws with the ITF's reasoning for the two-year ban, the International Tennis Federation. So she's saying, I let everyone speak for a long time. I let everyone make assumptions and judge and say anything they wanted to. And that's what makes the world go round. But at the end of the day, when this is all over, I knew that I would have the final say. We'll get into all that with Christine Brennan of USA Today a little bit later on. Interesting story around Jamie Cudmore at the moment. Now, we've kind of... The idea has been mooted for a while that if rugby players potentially start suing their employers... Or the game's authorities for damage caused around the area of concussion, this could start opening the you know the floodgates could pretty easily open. And back in August at the merger, Killian Willis, Brian Driscoll's cousin, is suing Sail Sharks for clinical negligence. Now Kudmore's preparing a legal case against his old club, Claremont, for uh, he was allowed to return to play despite failing a mid game concussion test. So okay, he gave an interview to the mail on Sunday recently, himself and his wife, and this is this is what he said. Champions Cup semi-final against Saracens he clashed heads with Billy Vunapola not a man you want to be clashing heads mm. I, I wouldn't want to be on either end of that particular head clash but uh, probably shouldn't be making light of this when I got back to the changing room they started to stitch me up and after that they put me through the head injury assessment the usual questions remembering five or six words and answering them back to the doc I had no chance I probably remembered one of the words and I remember clear as day I can see his face now saying now nah, you're done Safe, fini I was distraught it was a semi-final I wanted to be in the field you know, your work all year, etc. The doc could see us upset. He told me to relax, take my boots off and get in the shower. So I walked back into the changing room and hadn't even got my boots off when I heard the door open and the doc came back in and said, Jamie, Jamie, how are you? Sebi, that's his second row partner, is not good. Can you come back on? you got to come back on. So on he goes. Uh, suffers a little bit out in the wake of that game. Plays in the final at Twickenham two weeks later against Toulon. Hits a uh, collision this time with Chris Massoui. And a prop behind me said it wasn't even a head collision as such. It was a normal tackle leading with the shoulder. There was no contact with my head, but the force of the impact sparked me straight out. My body just went limp. I went off, did the HIA and a new doc we had, figured everything was all right. And I went back on towards the end of the game. I had a clash of heads with Joanne Smith and cut myself. I went off and started vomiting in the changing room. I didn't know about second impact syndrome. I didn't know I could have died. Uh, by second intra- impact syndrome. So it's you know the kind of thing that I think people in rugby have been fearing and have tried to get ahead of in certain ways. Whether or not it's been successful, I don't know. But we will chat to Matt Williams about that. And a little, Simon, about Leinster Munster. It almost feels like the start of the season, even though it's been chugging away for a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I think as far as fans are concerned, it is the start of the season. Um, I mean, you've had a lot of international players slowly come in over the last few weeks. But essentially, this game, you know, it's the, the week before the European Cup starts. But, uh, you know, there'll be 40,000 people in the Viva Stadium. It, it has historical significance, this game. But I think the rugby season, because of World Cups, because of summer tours, November internationals, all the rest, they're just too long for people to remain interested for the whole thing. So people essentially just cut out these first four or five weeks of the season. A rugby season is as long, or if not longer, than a football season. Uh, there aren't nearly as many teams or players or strands or narratives to be interested in. It's unsustainable to kind of remain interested in the thing for the whole season. Um, if you look at a Gaelic football season, there's six, seven significant games. And really, it's the same in rugby. So you've got to cut out a load <laughs> if you want to remain interested. Unsustainable, essentially, to for it to be hyped from the start to the end.
4: Yeah, I think this, uh, say in America, it's very clearly defined when the football season begins... You know the the week after the Super Bowl is that you know that dog show. What's it called? Uh, oh, I've forgotten it already. But I mean, you know, the basically every part of the year is assigned to you in the various sports. So basketball finishes just as the baseball is is ramping up a bit. Uh, You know, October is start of the NFL, start of the baseball playoffs. I mean, we're getting there in Ireland with that as well. I mean, I, I like the All Ireland final. You know, I I know myself. I'm my uh, I certainly wouldn't be tuning into that many rugby games until after the Iron football final had been taken care of. As it happens, this year with the replay and everything, it was perfect. It, it actually, we I, I we haven't even had a week off. Um, but I mean, I, I I think that that's only natural. And as you say, I mean, it is kind of unsustainable to think that right you can be going to the rugby games in at the very start of September, and the thing is still is is still rumbling along. You know, at
1: the end of June.
4: With test ki- test it's matches. the
1: same for the players themselves. There's absolutely no way they can remain at peak for the, that long, long season, particularly how, given how physical it is.
3: Matt
5: Williams, how are things? Really good, really good. Uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend.
3: Uh, it's a fig- well, Lancer Munster certainly at the Aviva is a fixture that still creates a buzz. It still brings in the crowds. Would you agree with Gordon Darcy this week that it's become sanitised? He says Lancer versus Munster has become sanitised too much about rugby.
5: Uh, I, I think. I would agree with Gordon on a lot of those topics. I think uh, some of the passion uh, and anger has dropped out of those games. And, um, you know, those games, you know, going back to when I started, uh, it's 16 years ago now in 2000, you know, they were immensely personal. Now, neither of the clubs are, 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 I think, at the top of European rugby anymore. So the quality has dropped. There's no doubt about it. But I think the passion has to come back.
1: Yeah, it's a funny fixture these days, Matty, because you still get over 40,000 at it, sometimes almost 50,000 at it. This is the one that's in Dublin. So huge numbers, often more than is that the final of the Pro 12 and yet the IRFU often rotate the players. You'll have some academy guys in there. Now, that might change this weekend, but over the last few years, they've tended to dilute it, which seems bizarre. Any other league in any other sport in the world, the the event that has the biggest fan numbers, that's the one you sell. You go 100% for that. It doesn't matter whether there's a European Cup game the next week. It doesn't matter whether you're bringing in your your full internationals back into the squad. You make it the big event.
5: I would agree with that. Um, I I find that, very uh, frustrating and i also find it uh, you know i don't think it's smart business because it is such an iconic event to to dilute it by not having your best players in the field is, is absolutely crazy and i think is is not good for the competition uh, you, you imagine in the old days if if we turned out Munster and uh, Leinster and Brian O'Driscoll and Gordon Darcy didn't play. Ronan O'Gara, Pertus Stringer didn't play. You, you know, People would say, well, why, why aren't they playing? And, and quite rightly so. And, and I know also, i tell you one other thing, that uh, you, you imagine going me going up to Brian O'Driscoll or, or those fantastic players that I coach and say, listen, we're going to rest you for this game. There's no way on God's green no, earth they would have let you done it. Everyone wanted to play that game, and the players do, do want to play it.
1: Matty, when Erasmus came over to Munster originally, there was sort of a sense that Munster had pulled a bit of a stroke, that he was well sought after in South Africa and the Southern Hemisphere. How was he perceived over there before he left as a person, as a coach? And do you think he's the ability to be Munster's first really great coach since the kidney days?
5: Uh, I, I knew Erasmus very, very well. He yeah, unfortunately, against the Waratahs, two years in a row, broke his jaw. Uh, when I was coaching the Waratahs, and, and uh, we visited him in hospital because he had to stay behind, he couldn't go home with his team. So I got to know him a little bit there, and I actually travelled on a flight with him back to South Africa. Our team was going to South Africa, and he came with us. And and since those days, uh, he, certainly within South Africa, he's uh, he's very highly thought of. But it's it's sort of interesting that that the the South Africans um, haven't exported as many coaches as as perhaps australia and, and new zealand into into europe and i think that because the the culture of rugby there is is, is slightly different it's very very insular but i think rassi's a sort of uh, personality he's an extrovert nice man i think he's got the personality to take that forward um and i i think that there there is and again so si, your questions are beauty because it's it's hard one to answer they're always the best ones I think we also have to remember that a coach adds value to the product. So you could imagine if you've got a million uh, euros, a coach sort of invests that. And if he can get 10%, 20%, he's a great coach. But if you've only got 100 euros and he's investing and he gets 10 or 20%, that's the great return. But he's still only got 120 euros. I think the quality…
1: You don't think their players uh, are good enough?
5: Yeah. That's it, mate. Like, you look back on those, that, that, that Munster sides from the old days, mate, Paul O'Connell, you right? go, wow. You know, you look through those teams, they were fab, full of fabulous players. You know, four or five all time great Irish players in those sides. And that's what you've got to have. When you look at now what the French are doing and the English, they've got their own heroes, but they're bringing in three or four world great players into these sides like Toulon and Claremont and so on. But,
1: but their players are yeah. good enough to beat Leinster and they're good enough to win this Pro 12. Even going on the form over the last few weeks, you'd say Munster maybe the best side in it, along with Cardiff, Leinster, a couple of others. You know, it, it's much of a much as maybe Europe's a different factor altogether. But you would say Pro 12, they should, they could, and should win it.
5: Yeah, mate, and, and isn't it lovely to see the, the top of the Pro 12? You know, three three Irish provinces again up there in the top four. You know, and Connacht just uh, just maybe struggling a bit after last year's uh, incredible success, but they're all positives. But again, I, I would. Uh, I, you know, without criticising the players, I think the players are giving their all, and that's all you can ask. And it's not a criticism of of the players in any way, but I certainly don't think the talent in Leinster or Munster is what it was in those in those times when they were winning European Cups and making quarterfinals, semi-finals. Uh, I, I think that the the playing field through England and France has changed radically, and that incredible generation of player has gone. And they're they're quality players and they're trying exceptionally hard, but I just don't think they're quite of the same quality. Uh, And and you can't. You can't have giants like O'Connell come along every day of the week or O'Driscoll or all the Gordon Darcy's, you know, or Paul Wallace and, and and all these great players that came through that system. It just doesn't happen. It was just a freak a freak of nature through that period of time. But the teams, you won't win it every year but they need to be competitive and I think that the the um, Irish provinces will be very, very competitive this year. Much, much more competitive than the last few years.
3: Matt, the other story we wanted to chat to you about while we have here is surrounds Jamie Codmore and his... Well, that he's set to take legal action against his former club, Claremont-Averne. This is for medical negligence around concussion after he was allowed to return to play despite failing a concussion test mid-game. He was brought back on later on because he says another player apparently was injured. So despite failing the test and being sat out, he was, to- he was told to come back on and there were a lot of problems for him subsequent to that. Is this the tip of the iceberg that people have been talking about over the last few years that we're going to start seeing something similar to what's happened in the US? A slew of... Uh, legal cases being taken against authorities in rugby, in this case a rugby team?
5: It's it's a hugely complex area and, and it's something I'm very passionate about. I, I I myself, you know, I had a brother die of a brain tumour very early in life who suffered a number of concussions and I, I was concussed a number of times as a player um, and and I've had a brain scan, and, and as my other brother said, they found nothing. <laughs> but uh, I, I said, no, not quite that. There was a brain, but uh, you know, I, I was fine. But but or touch wood, you know, that that at that that, that time, um, player safety is paramount. And I, I think as we move through um, air, situations such as the one you just described with Jamie, is is going to become impossible to repeat player will have a head injury and never go back on it is possible once you've got lawyers involved and they, they sniff a case uh, you're off with it um and so the answer to, to for me in the short term is yes you're right but i don't think we should confuse the usa with with rugby I, i've literally just come from from the east coast of america where i was doing some coaching through universities there and I was meeting with some of the uh, American football teams, and they're, they're obviously very aware of the movie like Concussion. It's very high profile yeah. there. The difference is American football coaches in contact to put your head in front of the opponent, to use the helmet as a weapon, to drag your helmet into the opponent's chest. So you, you're basically coaching players time and time again to put their head in, in harm's way. Now, rugby, we do the exact opposite. We've never coached to put your head in harm's way. We always talk about safety, and we move away from it. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a problem. There is a problem. And and the fact that we're we're diagnosing this problem now and we're saying to players like Nathan White, look, mate, time to retire. You've had a couple too many knocks. I think that is really healthy, and I think it's really good. Our bodies, a physiotherapist described to me once, your body's like a car. It's only got so many thousand Ks in it, and once it's worn out, it's worn out. So if your knees wear out or your ankle wears out, I've got a bad ankle, I've done all the Ks I can do in that ankle. But your head is different. And, and if you are a player that unfortunately takes a number of head knocks, then it's time to pop out. On the other side of that, the game's been around 200 years, just under. And the, the homes, the, the old the retirement homes, are not full of rugby players with Alzheimer's disease. The, the number of rugby players getting Alzheimer's disease is, ru- is roughly the same as the population. Right, it, it, we're not out of out of sync with what the general population gets in in Alzheimer's disease and brain and brain injury through that. Now, I'm, I know there are some players who've had some her- horrific stories, and I'm not I'm not in any way trying to negate that that reality of their situation, and and, and anything we can do to stop it must be done. But there there is also a, a reality that is not NFL. We don't seem to be having a history of of early onset of of um, brain illness caused by re- repetitive uh, uh, hitting, such as, as boxes that, that get early dementia and so on. It's not doesn't say that there are individuals, but that is roughly the same as the population. My grandmother from Wicklow, unfortunately, died of Alzheimer's disease. Now, she was 72, and I, I know she was a beautiful woman. She never played a game of rugby in her life. Now, we have to keep all those things in, in, in perspective. The big thing that we haven't got yeah, you know, here, here am I. I'm, I have no medical background. I'm talking to you about some some statistics. Yeah. that's wrong. We need the, uh, world rugby to do some serious research because the the reality is rugby is losing um, the fact war, the truth war, and, and and there needs to be facts put out there. You know, I, I spoke to a neurosurgeon about this because I'm coaching kids, and you know, the, in Australia now you get a bang, you're off, and you're off for two weeks. And we've almost had an overreaction to it. And at some stages within the school system, there's 80 or 90 kids not playing. Now they've got a bang in the head, but there's no way those kids had concussion. But everyone is being rightly very cautious with the young kids coming through, and that is that is correct. I'm not criticising it. But we're still not dealing with facts. We're dealing with fear because people are fearful of what they they feel is a tsunami of of legal action coming. Down the line in future years.
3: Well, is it not is it not correct to be fearful, Matt, to adopt a, a better safe than sorry approach? If, as you say, and I, I agree with you, I mean, I've looked at quite a lot of this concussion stuff, and uh, I was. There was a, a sort of a talk that I hosted, not hosted recently, but I was asking the questions of the experts. And funny enough, even when I asked the very basic first question, what is a concussion? People had different views as to how to actually define it, let alone how you deal with it, how you measure what what exactly, uh, what effects it has. There's that much, it, it, it's, that mu- it's so unexplored an area that I agree with you. Uh, unexplored might be the wrong word, but there are so many facts still to be ascertained that you kind of worry about... You, you should really adopt the safety first approach, rather than going the other way and just assuming things will be all right.
5: It, 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 you know, it sounds like I'm arguing against what you've just said, and I'm not. I, I'm, I'm player safety is number one. We do have the evidence because the game has been around so long. We have the evidence of what of what happens to rugby players in later life. Mm. We, we, it, it, you could go out there now. and and you could track Leinster players, all the Leinster players still alive, you could track them. Um, You know, guys who are in their 80s and 90s, you could see what what they did. And you could could go back and find out, okay, the guys who died earlier, what did they die of? What what was this? This is factually able to do because the game's been so long. Now, the game has changed This professionalism. There's, There's a whole lot of reasons there. But I can tell you, when I played, there was a lot more violence. People did get kicked in the head. People did get punched. And, and you know in my own case, I, I was very badly concussed, and I don't remember a game. Was, and just like Jamie Cullen was put back on a field, and that's appalling. Um, and I, I, I'm not, you know, you go through our generation, everyone will tell you those stories. Again, but I spoke to a neurosurgeon about this. Exactly what you said, and he said to me that it is, it's not rugby. It is the shaking of the brain. Okay, the brain having having trauma. So if you were a gymnast. And you're on the Roman rings and you exit the Roman rings. You do a loop up in the air and then land on the ground. You jolt your brain very heavily. And he said, so where do we stop? A soccer, a footballer. And this is this is the, the, the other one. The, the, his argument was one of the most dangerous things is heading the ball in football because that's a, you're heading, it doesn't matter what jolts your brain. It is the jolting of the brain. So then he, and he said to me, he said, so what do we do with everyone? We put them in a room, dark room and lock the door. We don't let anyone go outside. Uh, A ballerina or a a leaping across the stage landing jolts her brain. These were all his examples. And and he also said to me, and I was in a hospital at the time looking at it, hospitals are not full of kids from rugby with brain trauma. The the brain trauma in our hospitals is motorbikes, push bikes, as as in cycles, skateboards, people not wearing helmets doing these things, and obviously car accidents. These are the massive, massive areas where we're getting um, brain injury that that is short-term. The question is, is there long-term Damage to brains in in rugby, and and the reality is no one knows, no one has that answer. Should Jamie Cudmore have been put back on the field after he suffered brain uh, a concussion? The answer to that is absolutely positively no, he should not have. And I'm very happy to say that in my experience since we've become aware of this, that doesn't happen. I, I, I'm. I don't know when exactly the circumstances. You know, it's not for me to say because I wasn't there. But you know, you, you have your doctor on the sideline. He said that guy's concussed. He doesn't go back on. At schoolboy level in Australia, guy, our, our physios now on the sideline. If a guy has any sort of brain injury, he is not allowed back on the field, and he's not allowed to participate in rugby until he's cleared medically. And there is a a, a, um, a mandatory stand down period for these for these guys. And again. What is a concussion? Do you lose consciousness? Do you just get a bang in the head? You know, do you see stars? You know, what, what, what is it? And, and th- all these areas, for me as an old coach, I'm commenting on, and I am not in any way uh, trained to do that. We need research. We need um, good medical guidelines that I do believe we have in Ireland. You know, I work with wonderful doctors like Professor Arthur Tanner there in, in Leinster who, who always had the players um, uh, welfare at heart, you know the the, the Irish medical system is, is magnificent and I've seen that around the world. And, you know, very few doctors um, are, are not there for the. I've never worked with anyone that's not there for the player. And and now, if the if World Rugby brings in these laws, I, I think that is right. Are we going to see more legal actions? Yeah, we will.
3: Matt, did you when it happened to you? You mentioned there that you had to that you played on with a concussion and uh, suffered them during your career. Given what you said happened to your brother, did you? You mean, you, were you afraid when you suffered them yourself?
5: Um, at the time, no, but I mean, look, it, it was a million years ago, mate. And, and, and you know, the, the Neanderthal thinking at the time was, you know, it was for an Australian university's trial game. And, and and from the kickoff, and I don't remember any of this, my dad told me, and, and I caught the ball and I got swung and I coll- collided with the guy's knee. I broke my nose and the bone came through the skin. I came to the sideline and I was, you know, out. And they put me back on. And then, uh, when I, I didn't get selected and I asked what I didn't get selected so I said you know after you got that bang you weren't tough enough. Uh, you know, that that was the dumb thinking of the time. You know, there was a macho stupid attitude towards this all that they they don't have. You know, you broke bones, you stayed on. That was that was the stupidity of the time. And it was stupid and and I have absolutely no you know, I don't have any pride. I, I say I, I detest, what you know, if some, someone tried to do that to, to my son or one of my players, I'd be straight down there and, you know, be, yeah. that would, just wouldn't occur. But that was the time. And, you know, there was, in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of punching. There was a, the guys weren't as big as were, the, but they're still big men. There's a lot of punching and you were at the bottom of a ruck and there was a lot of things going on. But, you know, I didn't know anything about this. It wasn't until my brother became very ill. And, and, again, we have no evidence that that was why he died. Uh, because he smoked for ten years, and um, you know he smoked, but then he became very healthy. But what what affected the cigarettes? Have? And we've all been tested, and you know, touch wood, we're, we're, the the the, the, the uh, research into what my, my other brothers and I we we were, we were all fine, you know. The, the, from, and, and this it may have just been a freak occurrence. Was it the cigarettes? Was it you? Don't know. We just don't know, and the doctors don't know, the medical staff don't know, because there's a whole lot of guys older than me who I know got belted around and fought and punched, and they're fine. So there's some individuals who I think have a, have a predisposed problem to this, and that's where we've got to find out. Is there a test we can do when God's so young say, listen, mate, rugby's not for you. Maybe get out and play basketball, may, may, maybe rowing, you know, some other, habit. We, we're not going to do it, where, where other people, they don't. It's the same with Alzheimer's. Why do some people get Alzheimer's and some people don't? The, the reality in rugby is there is no evidence that any of this has a problem on some people in boxing we know it does we know that getting repeated uh, blows to the brain does have an effect on you and your long longevity of of life and your your mental health and we know that some guys you know do suffer great depression and and huge problems after having uh, a severe concussion other guys don't and it's it's you know the medical science behind it is exceptionally unclear so, um, and may I also add, I, the greatest fear I have when I come to Ireland is I see kids riding around on push bikes without helmets. And I walk around, and, and you know when I come to Ireland, I don't have a car, I tend to walk places, and I just see child after child after child riding on the road without a helmet on. That, to me, is much, much more of a worry than rugby, by, by a million miles. And, and, and these are the things that, that I think we've got out of proportion. I watch kids down and down and when I went down to Greystones where I used to live riding skateboards in the park, no helmets. And I'm going, put a helmet on, son, put a helmet. Because you you fall backwards, you're going to have have a chance of having brain injury. I think these are much, much more dangerous areas than under 10s or under 12s or under 14s rugby by a million miles. And and I'm not saying that because I'm a rugby guy. I'm saying that because I've seen it and I believe it.
3: All right, Matt, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million.
5: Pleasure, mate.
4: final on yeah. it again.
5: I can't speak. the world Never mind else.
3: Just one last point regarding Kudmore. It's a little strange in some ways, I think that he's still playing. He moved clubs, but he's thirty eight years of age. And in that interview, hes talking. a lot of times you read these interviews with the people who've suffered badly from concussion. And when they're as open as Kudmore is, And they've talked about the sort of effects as he does. You know, he mentioned the uh, being in the darkened room and all this kind of stuff that you've probably heard before. These kind of quite scary short-term effects, which can sometimes lead to long-term problems, aversion to light, the irritability, this kind of thing. He talks about that, but yet he, he plays on as opposed to a lot of the guys who only open up after they finish. So he's 38 years of age. He says, I definitely worry about the future. I don't want to be one of those guys who's 65 but can't remember anything. And yet, despite getting a legal case ready against his former employers, he obviously doesn't deem the sport of rugby itself to be unsafe. Uh, he just se- seems to think that in certain cases with his previous employers, they let him down.
1: There's, there's definitely been cases in rugby where the employers have let the player down and loads of cases where they haven't. But I think rugby almost needed a case like this, a concussion case, because Matty said to work off fear is a bad thing. But I think you need a financial implication for teams and unions and everybody to to be really think clearly about this and to be thorough about this because ultimately otherwise things can drift on, people can be lax about it. But if people's jobs and sponsorships and all the rest are in jeopardy, then people really get to work on fixing this problem. Um the only thing is, you know, the NFL has the financial clout to survive in America, no matter what sort of legal case is thrown at it rugby could be in trouble pretty quickly if there was a few more cases but I think whatever you think about Jamie Cudmore and his particular case I think this needed to happen and then there's a happy medium after that how many cases just how harsh you are and so the other thing on this just briefly on is Mm. the situation that these club medics are now in where they may have pressure on one side from Coaches or whoever uh, to get players back in the field or to, you know, to run things as close to the law as they can with return to play. And then on the other side, they have in the back of their head potential for final- our legal implications. So it's becoming one of the trickier jobs in sport.
3: Connacht versus Ulster at the sports ground is the first of Provin- the provincial games. That's on Friday night. And I made my first trip to the sports grounds just last Friday. where my debut. Perfect timing to clamber aboard the Connacht bandwagon, having mm-hmm. lost all their games in the Guinness Pro 12 leading into this. Since then, their skills coach has also abandoned ship. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, not going so well for Connacht. But I was there for their first win of the season against Edinburgh. I booked tickets for the enclosed stand. Oh, it should be a ruckus at- atmosphere there. Well, you see, again, I, uh, yeah, I, I was buying into the hype, of, of according to the narrative, every game at the sports grounds is windswept, it's raining. It's, it's, I thought, jeez, I don't, I don't know if I like the sound of that. I want a roof on my stand, so I went for the enclosed stand. Then when I got there, I was like, hang on, all these, both these stands are enclosed in the sense that they have a roof. Mm. Uh, you you know, Obviously, you could be standing on either end of the dog track, um, you know, in the, right out in the open. But my enclosed stand was actually, if you picture any night you've ever been at the dogs, that indoor area, basically indoor bar area, with the steps leading down towards, mm. like, a and glass. Glass,
4: glass yeah. separating you from the pitch. You're yeah, You're exactly, inside yeah. watching.
3: I was inside with the Blazers. There was a little sec, a section there for the Connacht rugby people. Uh, mm. They looked lovely. We hear a lot about the Blazers in different sports. These guys look like nice elderly gentlemen. Yeah. I have to say There's these. a better class of Alakadu in college. <laughs> there really is, yeah. <laughs> and I was literally standing, like, with my pint, resting on the tote. Uh, yeah, yeah, desk, yeah. where I would normally be putting bets on if I was going to the dogs. Strange kind of a setup. I think they've only opened that to the public in recent times, of, unless I got lost, because even when I was asking people there who worked there it's, am, I, am I in the right stand? They kind of looked at me like I had a mm. cl- you know, uh, that I, like I might have been lost, but yeah. anyway, I, that's where I ended What up. did you make of the overall experience? Well, I got out of there in the second half once the rain lightened up and the bonus point try was on, popped out for the last 15-20 minutes to the in with the real fans Simon obviously still under a certain amount of cover like <laughs> obviously you're be, not a, you're not a lunatic uh, yeah that was a lot more enjoyable because you know when you're indoors and in any sort of everyone's just talking and mm. kind of moaning about stuff like they, they were winning easily and there was just a lot of moaning on. then when you're outside it's totally different it's people who are actually really kind of at the game and probably go quite often Uh really is Really is close to Air Square, even closer than had been advertised. Mm. You know, when somebody goes, "Oh, it's like a ten-minute walk from Air Square." You oh, normally it's a, think it's a half an hour walk, it's but a couple of raking touchfinders yeah. from uh, Air Square, exactly. Uh, yeah, and they they nabbed the bonus point while I was out there. So yeah, sure, I was cheering with the with the rest of them.
4: The uh, yeah, that whole idea of watching behind glass. You know, you've yeah, uh, you know, I, ha- I have had occasion to be at a sporting event where you're you're watching something, and you know, from from inside. Like, a lot of press boxes, say, in GA, in GA grounds are behind glass, which basically means that you've no understanding of what the atmosphere is like. It's basically like those days when you're at, like, a really terrible club GA game and you're sitting, you know, you're standing at the wire and you're saying, God, if I go back to the car now and turn the heating on, I wonder will I still be able to see the game? And that's basically it. I mean, obviously, you've... you've You've uh, given up the right To say that you're actually At the game You're <laughs> totally, just sitting yeah, in yeah, your yeah, car yeah, Completely yeah But on the other hand You know you've got to weigh that Against the other Against those inclement Galway conditions Which you insist on Bringing up every mm. couple of minutes On
3: And of course Where I was At least I did get to see What was going on In the 8.25 At Harold's Cross <laughs> <and something. laughs> The Irish Times Second Captain's football podcast Is out now
0: That's Yeah <laughs> They have asked for that Really
3: no, You can laugh I'm the up.
0: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What
6: did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd
0: say it to you, face, not say it oh, to you now. Mean, come I'm
6: down to and we'll
5: see them at What you doing down here, you're showing me, man.
2: Owen's poems, Owen. You uh, have written some poems yourself. Yeah, I have, yeah. But have you ever written a crime novel?
3: Crime novels, no.
2: Any reason why you haven't tried your hand at the longer form?
3: It's not so much length, Ken. It's more style. I'm a man of poetry. You, you I, just, I look down on, on prose writers. Films. Prose
2: leaves you cold. Well, look at the. Steve Bruce has a different approach. He's a man of prose. Um, prose, which he produced in the form of three uh, detective novels in, in the late 90s. Uh, and so we've spoken to Seamus O'Reilly, who is the world's foremost authority. On his literary works, well,
3: could I describe Shamus as one of the few people in the world who has read these novels? Even he's yes. re- he's read them, so we don't have to. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I would say I would say that's I, th- I would say that's quite accurate.
3: If you have read any of the Steve Bruce novels, maybe do tweet us at Second Captains and let us know because there do not seem to be many copies out there.
2: Um, yeah, pa- Paddy Gagan back in, in Newstalk actually gave me a copy of one of them. He po- he photocopied uh, one of the books that he found it in the library. In college I guess um, and I had it at home I didn't finish reading it I had it but it was uh, but I think it was kind of awkward it was because it was like a bunch of a four sheets you know what I mean yeah. it wasn't like uh, nicely you know conveniently bound book so uh, I never I never ultimately got through it which is why it was good it was good to get the chance to talk to Seamus about this and what actually happened in there
3: The Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled on Tuesday that Maria Sharapova's two-year ban should be reduced to 15 months. So she's going to be back, it seems quite, quite soon now actually, for the 2017 French Open next summer. She hasn't been slow in ripping into the International Tennis Federation either. Christine Brennan of USA Today. Great to talk to you. Great to have you on the show again, Christine. Hope you're well.
6: Well, thank you. It's great to be on with you guys. Yes, everything's good. And uh looking forward to uh, another fun conversation with
3: you. Yeah, another fun conversation about <laughs> about a grubby <laughs> enough topic of, of drugs and sport and all the rest of it. Maria Sharapova, you said in June, you described her as five-time Grand Slam champion and now sadly world-class cheater. Do you stand by that today?
6: Well, I think we have learned that maybe, um, and I think I wrote a column a few months before that when it first broke saying she's either... Uh, cl- totally clueless professional athlete or a world-class cheater. Right. Um, and so I'll go with the clueless, although I still think um, it's hard to believe that someone that smart didn't know that meldonium was a performance enhancer uh, because this notion that, what, what, what was the study, that uh, 17% of Rush, of all Russian athletes last year were found to be taking it, 17%. And of course, it's it's to treat angina and uh, heart issues. So what are the odds that 17% of, of Russian athletes in the prime of their lives would all have heart issues? Um, we weren't born yesterday. So with that in mind, it was legal. It was a legal performance enhancing drug until December 31st. So I think we kind of have two conversations going on here. The one is that that she should have known better. You have to know what's in your body. Uh, no, there are no excuses. Uh, it's up to you. The most important emails, the most important information uh, is is what uh, Wada is sending about changes in the drug code. And of course, it, they don't shock you on New Year's Eve. Uh, they they the word goes out. I, I looked and online in October of last year, I could see uh that both substances the the name that um, maria knew it as and the other name were mentioned as would be banned december 31st that was just a a quick google search uh it was available in october to see that but um so i think you've got two things going on you i think you've got a cluelessness that is stunning and surprising to me and someone i like maria Uh, i think she's good for the game i think she's a good role model and uh, especially for girls and women and then uh, you've got the issue of knowing absolutely knowing that this was helping you perform better, even if it was legal at the time. The You mentioned something
3: there. You touched on the athlete being responsible for what goes into their body. What I find slightly difficult to understand in this court of arbitration for sport ruling is that they seem to be nearly saying that and that's not entirely the case, because it, it seems pretty clear that she and she stood by her agent, Max Eisenbud he 's normally the guy who checks out for wh- for her what is uh, what she 's allowed to take and what she 's not allowed to take in the initial hearing of the uh, International Tennis Federation he explained that he was actually going through a divorce so his normal procedure of checking all these changes while he's on holidays was rocked a little bit by stuff going on in his own life that the ITF didn't have much truck with that and they claimed that regardless she should be responsible it's her uh, you know it's her it's her body and she should know what's going into it but the court of arbitration seems to suggest that well it's actually reasonable enough for her to rely on her agent for this now what they say is that she sh- she failed to instruct him on how to complete this task and she hadn't verified that he'd done it but you know it's not actually unreasonable for a top level sports person to rely on somebody to keep them up to speed
6: no, it is not. Although, again, it's well, it's a great window. I, I agree with you. Fascinating detail, an interesting window into uh, the world of one of the top athletes um, in our, you know, on the globe. Uh, but I, I still cannot believe it. I mean, I, I believe it, but I, I'm saying I cannot believe it is more in the, yeah, yeah. the incredulity of it. Yeah. That, you know, as we know, if you test positive it rocks your world. You're gone for, in this case, 15 months or two years or four years. You will never entirely get your image back. We know that. We just know that as a fact. And how you would just cavalierly say, well, he's handling that. And then, of course, he's got issues on the side, so he's really not handling that. Uh, I'm just blown away by that information. Knowing what you know, knowing how serious this is, that someone who is as serious as Maria Sharapova could let someone else handle this is again, this is, of course, what she's saying. Mm. Now, I remember at the time as this news broke, she said she did not open an email on December 22nd. And uh, there were reports that there were four or five other emails that she could have opened. Uh, So I, I do know that she did say once that she did not open an email, that she saw one and did not open it. Which of course, again, to me, that alone, you are playing with fire in a way there that I just cannot cannot fathom. For for people who are listening and saying, "Well, it's just an email; I could go to the spam filter." Picture in your world, in your job, in your life, the most important email of the year. In whatever you do in your world, all of us, and we can think of what that email might be. Hard to imagine, but figure out one that would be the most important in your world. In your life, annually, and you don't open it. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's what we're talking about here.
2: Is it really uh, the most important, though, Christine? I mean, it, it does obviously it has big implications, but it's it's kind of a boring procedural email. It's not the kind of email that you'd be, you know, waiting to to read. It's I could actually quite easily imagine not opening correspondence like that in my in my own life, which maybe says more about the my chaotic circumstances but but I, I i can i can see how it could happen
6: well if you see wada new new drugs for 2016 and you're an athlete making millions and you don't open that well then guess what you're going to be suspended for 15 months i mean that's what we've just found out here that's we've just seen the consequences i think again you're we're putting this in our terms and i, I tried to do that and pro- potentially i did not succeed on that whatever it, this is this is more important than any practice it's more important than any uh, travel it's more important than any contract because if you don't know what's on the ban list and you take something as we are seeing obviously it's played out so everyone knows this is this is what's happened now and you don't know that and you take it and this now uh, it's in your body and you test positive wow there you go so I would hope now everyone would see how important it is to open the email. Interestingly, by the way, in Maria's uh, interview with Charlie Rose the other night, what did she say? She said she opened an email to see that she was banned. <laughs> so she opened that one. How big, Isn't that interesting?
3: Yeah. How big uh, a win do you think this Court of Arbitration for Sport decision is, Christine? She's, she is still banned for 15 months, but... It almost feels as though certainly the way she's presenting it, it's almost as though she's been exonerated. She's talking about the fact that she knew she would have the final say.
6: Yeah, I don't buy that at all. I don't buy it at all. She's not exonerated. She's banned for 15 months, as you said. Uh, And by the way, again, I want to say this. I've met Maria only once. I've covered her. Uh, I've certainly been in a lot of press conferences with her. I like her. I'm not against Maria Sharapova. I I was very sad to hear this news. Uh, I think she's really great for the sport, and I'm glad she's coming back. So I want to make that crystal clear. This is not about that. This is about, frankly, any athlete under these circumstances. Uh, change the name. Uh, you know, pick another athlete. Pick a U.S. athlete. Pick anyone you want. I would say the exact same thing. I guarantee you that. I've covered this too long. Covered this since uh, Ben Johnson in '88, and remember it going back to the East Germans in '76 as a girl watching on television, uh, the Montreal Olympics. So that's my frame of reference here. No, she did not win at all. I know she and her lawyer uh, are, are, you know, happy about this. Well, they should be happy because it's not two years, it's 15 months. But she's banned. She missed a full year at a key moment of her career. She certainly her her career has been to this point going downwards a little last uh, Grand Slam was in 2014. Grand Slam victory at the French Open. And then she misses all of 2016, which includes the Olympics. Obviously includes four more Grand Slams. She now can come back in time for all the Grand Slams of 2017. But this is a huge, huge year to miss. And no, she's she's declaring victory. I guess it's like you can take a little piece of it and say, sure, I, I didn't have the full ban. But no way, no how. She, is a, she has been banned for cheating. For doping, that is a fact. It will always be part of her resume, and I'm sorry to say it because, again, if she'd opened some emails, that probably wouldn't have happened.
3: So, when you say, as you said earlier, that you've liked her, when when you you've liked what she's been about up until now, that she's been a role model for women in sport, to, 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 is that all, scuppered? Is that all gone? Is she a good role model anymore?
6: Well, people will people love a, a comeback story, as we know, and so when she hits the court in France and and comes back, people will cheer. But for me, yes, she is different. Um, And and here's why. Again, I know people are saying, wait a minute here. It was just a little error. You know, that's what Floyd Landis said. The dog ate my homework. You know, that's what Marion Jones said for a while. That's what Lance Armstrong for years. No, I didn't do that. You know, I'm just I've heard it so many times. They come up with the excuses. And the interesting thing was Maria at the beginning was not coming up with excuses. She's the one who announced this she had a press conference in LA. She was the one that came out, got in front of it and told everyone what happened. And since then, she's gone back to being the dog ate my homework person. Um, I'm not saying, by the way, that there aren't reasonable things to discuss. That's why I said there's a couple different ways to look at this. She is not Lance Armstrong. She is not Marion Jones. She is not the entire Russian Federation that should have been kicked out of the Rio Olympics and only one third was. She's not. But uh, yes, she is. She, she tested positive. And keep in mind, meldonium is the drug that the Soviets were using to keep their um, soldiers awake and uh, give them endurance and stamina and energy during um, the Afghanistan war. And this is no, this is is no little, oh gosh, I'm taking it now and then because I have a history of diabetes and a bad electrocardiograph. No, 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 this is systemic cheating and that's why it's banned. So Maria Sharapova for 10 years was taking this drug that was helping her, and she'd take more of it during tournaments. So I guess her heart concerns and her diabetes concerns were increasing (laughs) while she was at Wimbledon, (laughs) I said, with as much sarcasm as I could have. She knew what she was doing. It was not banned, so she was the beneficiary of an unbanned performance enhancer. Throw that into the mix, and yes, my my image of Maria Sharapova certainly has changed.
3: Christine, there was a a detail that I read in one of the articles around this. Sharapova said she kept herself occupied during her suspension with both physical challenges, yoga, distance running, spinning classes, and intellectual ones like coursework at Harvard and a stint shadowing the NBA's commissioner, Adam Silver. This is a bit of a, a, a side issue, really, a footnote, if anything, but I've just found it a little bit odd that the commissioner of another sport would allow himself to work with or to be shadowed by somebody who is currently serving a drugs ban in, in a different sport. Is, is that? I don't know if you know anything about that. It's a New York times piece I was reading, I think, but it seems like a bit of an odd one to me.
6: I agree. I, I found that to be strange. I know Adam Silver. silver. Uh, I like him. I, I know that Maria Sharapova is a big part of our culture. And, and again, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, that, uh, that great commercial she had a few years ago, about what was it being ladylike or hitting like a girl or something. And she was just pounding the ball. I love that. I mean, she's a she's a great role model for all those issues about women and and uh, and rights and and issues that are, of course, coming up in our um, U.S. elections big time right now. I, I love that she's there and has been fighting those battles and a role model for for kids. So that, as I said, that changes for me a little bit, um, but I do think people will love uh, come back and we'll cheer for her and hopefully give, you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's OK. I, I you know, I'm I'm all for that. Um, what, about the Se- well,
3: what about the Adam Silver side of that, though? Just that the, yeah, that the right. NBA. Uh, well, and the, I guess yeah. what I was
6: saying was that so she is such a part of our culture that I th- I'm going to guess without having talked to the NBA about this, I'm going to guess that they look at her as Maria Sharapova, the cultural icon, not Maria Sharapova, the band athlete. Um, I would not have done it. Uh, And I, I, you know, it's interesting. I did read that and hear about that. I didn't pursue it. I did not write or talk about it. But I do find that to be weird. Absolutely. Um, But again, I think that's what I I was getting at by Maria is such a part of our society that it's almost like, oh, yeah, she's banned, but she's Maria Sharapova. We like her. Well, again, that's very dangerous because that's a terrible message being sent to children as well. Um, You know, you you can't you shouldn't be able to just get away with stuff, which is why I'm glad she's still banned and she'll be banned until April. Not because I'm trying to be a mean, awful, nasty journalist here, but because either have rules or you don't have rules. And if we don't want to have drug testing and we don't want to ban people, that's okay. That as a society, we can make that call. Uh, I, I think that would be very bad. But I understand we could have that conversation. Let the best chemist win. And if people end up having uh, three heads in a hundred years and and four different arms, okay, let's go. You know, and I know that sounds particularly weird and sci-fi, but but uh, we can have that conversation. But right now, we've decided we want to catch drug cheats. Drug cheats. Well, Maria Sharapova is the very definition of a cheater. She tested positive twice for a substance that was banned, and all she had to do, she she said, was open her emails. There is the possibility, by the way, that she did open them, and somehow she wanted to keep taking it. Uh, That's certainly within the realm of possibility, because again, she all of a sudden didn't list it uh, for the last few years on her medical records. So if she needed it for medical reasons, why wasn't she telling her new doctor that she was taking it? Mm. Lots of questions here about Maria, but going back to the NBA, very strange. Um, But she did have, I have to say this, guys, she did have a very productive banned time, probably the most productive banishment in the history of sports. I give her credit, again, uh, for trying to learn and be smart. Uh, some of those things are a little questionable. The NBA is questionable. But good for her for taking some classes and doing some things that she wanted to do. I think that's a, that's a nice message uh, that she's sending there.
3: Yeah, I'm sure. We, we'd all like to take a bit of coursework at Harvard if we could get in, I guess. Uh, Christine Renan, listen, mm-hmm. lovely to talk to you. Thanks a million.
6: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Take care.
3: A flame hair, a flame it's hair, a flame of truth,
2: Mr. Pro, Ken truth Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Mr. Ken, 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 Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about on yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rodgers.
1: That's where it goes from. Thanks a
3: lot, Pepe. How much do give a fuck? Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now For you give it up. Oh, I've got one more observation before we go, Mer, for about my time at the sports grounds last Friday night. I love your observations, son. You know how I judge a team, any team. You know, you can talk about Connacht and their professionalism in the last number of years, their recruiting of Pat Lamb, you know the loyalty of John Muldoon, the mm-hmm. signing of mm-hmm. Bundyaki, all the great stuff going on behind the scenes and all that. Yeah, that's that's all good, but you know you've made it when, when you've, you've got, got
4: a really high-profile mascot. Exactly, <laughs> that's amazing. How did you know? That's I was actually say pretty that? well. Because, for whatever reason, I don't know why, every time I go to the sports ground, I'm utterly transfixed, transfixed by that eagle. <laughs> Eddie the Eagle, yeah. I can't, I can't yeah. take my eyes off him. For long periods of every game I've yeah. ever been at the
3: sports ground, I'm kind of nudging the person I'm with going, oh, <laughs> watch, watch he's going to do something amazing here. Mm. Do you know what it is about him? He's very fleet of foot, He's fleet of foot, but also he's a wingless eagle. He's essentially just a guy in an eagle help, hat. You know, there's no. He just looks like a human. I don't even know if he has any props. Here he is, Ken. Look, I'll give you a little look at Eddie there. Big white eagle heading him. Oh yeah. Do you see what I mean? It just it looks like just a supporter with a jersey on. Slightly no, furry but he's arms. He's got. He's got. Um, why did
2: they think I was Eddie the Eagle? I mean, there already was an Eddie the Eagle. Why? Why didn't they give him an, another name, Eric? Eamon.
4: Eamon the Eagle. It's got a nice kind of uh, mm. go sound. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then an, and E A an of course. Aina the Eagle. Agla.
3: Yeah, end one? of the eagle. I mean, there are a lot of actually a lot of Irish versions. So I've been life. reading up on this guy. I'm it's glad been. we share a uh, love Murph, this yeah. mascot, Eddie Eagle. Apparently, five years ago, this is a story here, Independent. The much-loved mascot of Connacht Rugby ended up on the injured list himself during yeah. last Friday's Magners League clash against Glasgow Warriors. I brought. the... Can I tell you? I, Have you I, brought I, this up before? I I brought this up on
4: uh, it was a little-known uh, radio slot called Murph's Country Pages. Oh, uh, it, this was one of the one of the oh. big. One
3: of the big, the big moments for Merseyside Country. But anyway, on you go. And well, I'm, no, I'm I eager. kind of feel. But it was five years ago. I think you're within your rights. It's a walk a, down memory lane. It's yeah, a flap exactly.
4: down in, uh, memory lane with Eddie the Eagle. Well, do you,
3: do you remember all the details? No. Well, I, it's Sean Cronin. It is is involved. Is he? Not on this one. A media... Okay. Sorry, Eddie was up to his usual antics as he patrolled the perimeter of the pitch at the sports ground, urging on the home supporters. It was one of his better nights as Connick romped to a 37-8 win over the Warriors. Remember, this is back before Connacht were champions and any win was greeted warmly. But it all became too much for some Glasgow supporters who travelled to Galway. I'm going to say... These were lads on a stag, but I'm not so sure. Dressed in kilts and keeping the bar staff busy throughout the evening, they became more raucous as their side turned into a dismal display. They repeatedly chanted, catch the pigeon, as Eddie milked the occasion for all it was worth. It's actually an eagle. Finally, one of the Glasgow supporters snapped and he scaled the perimeter fence before lunging at the mascot. He knocked a shocked Eddie to the ground and to the cheers of the kilted visitors grappled good-naturedly with him. The over-exuberance came in a price, however, as Eddie ended up with a dislocated shoulder. Uh, Undeterred He's battling back to fitness Determined to make Connacht's next game The Sports Grounds A spokesman for Connacht Rugby said It wasn't intentional But we take a dim view Of people entering the pitch Hmm. The story I
4: was going to tell you About Sean Cronin I do remember that story But Sean Cronin's brother Used to drive up From Limerick Now maybe I've horribly Misremembered this But Sean Cronin's brother When Sean was playing For Connacht um, His brother Used to drive up From Limerick And he was himself Eddie the Eagle And he didn't tell (laughs) Sean Cronin. What? He he yeah, he refu- he didn't tell Sean Cronin uh his brother that he was the mascot. So hang on. Like Sean Cron- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was leading a double life. Did you see the game today? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure I saw it most of it between, you know.
3: But so he was dropping Sean Cronin to the game. And no, Sean Cronin off.
4: I'm sure was living in Galway. Oh, yeah, okay my bad. But the brother was driving from Limerick putting on the Eddie the Eddie the Eagle suit. Uh uh, whipping the crowd up into a frenzy, and then going home, or you know, meeting Sean after the game it's like you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, acting as if nothing had happened. And his cover was only blown. This is what this is what I recall. His cover was only blood when he dislocated his shoulder. Okay, well, and had to tell Sean that
3: he. It's <laughs> amazing extra detail on this. Uh,
4: God.
3: M- is it detail true? Who knows? Who knows? It's, it's an, quite frankly. It's an entertaining way to round out this podcast.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, sure. Who listens to the end of a podcast anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Losers. Sorry to Sean and his brother if I've horribly misremembered <laughs> at all. Yes.
3: Thanks very much to the hardcore people listening to the very end of this podcast. Thanks to you, Ken, and to you, Murph, and Thanks to you, Simon. You Thanks to you, Owen, and to you, Kieran. Thank Thanks you all, thank much. you, Ken, We've got thank football you, Simon. Podcast out. Oh, I haven't even mentioned, we're going to have another football podcast out on Friday post-Ireland-Georgia. Ireland-Germany? That would be a bit more exciting. But anyway, Ireland-Georgia will keep us ticking over for the time being.
2: It's the second time it's done. off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.